All right, let's start this morning in Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12 with the conduct of the body, part 3. But really what I want to do this morning is just specifically dive in to the gospel. Paul writes to the Romans and says that he is not ashamed, but that instead he is eagerly obliged both to Jew and to Gentile. He is obliged to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel that is the very power of God unto salvation. The wrath of God revealed against men and the righteousness of God revealed when he makes propitiation, literally when he pays the debt of their lifeblood for them, ransoming his people back to himself, purchasing our lives with the very lifeblood of his son. Man, I I tell you, it grieves me. It grieves me when we boil down the gospel to simply a decision that's being made for our own good between heaven and hell. Now, friends, there's the decision to be made. Don't mistake it. But if we boil it down to just that, we make it cheap. This is the sacrifice of his son that we might live. That he may remain just while being the justifier of sinful men. For it is written that Abraham believed God. And it was reckoned to him as something such, so much more than belief. It was reckoned to him as righteousness, the very power of God on display, faith being credited for something more than it was. And having been justified through the gift of faith, we rejoice. We literally boast in the very hope of God that has been given to us for we were dead. Born in the image of Adam, from dust we came and to dust we go, yet in Christ we live. Because in Christ we died. And Christians know your identity. That by the baptism of the Holy Spirit we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We have been risen with Christ by the glory of the Father to walk in the newness of life. A profound identity. Life coming from death. God calling into existence that which did not previously exist all by the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit himself. For men are enslaved to their own being. Both the natural man and the new creation. The natural man is one who according to Romans chapter 8 verse 8 are in the flesh and cannot please God but as the saints of God adopted through Jesus Christ we have a new being. For you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Therefore we can say with great boldness that all things, all things, even the living and dying that we are going to consider today, all things work together for our good. For Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. And I've asked it every week since we made it back in the review to chapter 8. And I'll ask it again this week and I'll ask it again next week and all the way through till we're done with Romans. Are you called? Do you love God? Because, friend, if you do, all things, all of them, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, they all work for your good. You have never had a bad day. Now, if you want to preach a prosperity gospel, that's a prosperity gospel I'll preach. It's not the one that you normally hear with that label on it. That's the prosperity gospel of Jonah. That's the prosperity gospel of John the Baptist with his head on a platter. (laughs) That's the prosperity gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, he calls us. And he calls us to love him according to his own purpose. It's not some random reality, but instead salvation belongs to the Lord. In Romans chapter 9, verse 16, Paul says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And the good news of Jesus Christ is this, is that mercy and compassion are not opposed to the justice of God but that instead mercy and compassion are part and partial to God's justice to the extent that if you don't have mercy and compassion, you don't have God's justice. Man, the fallen image bearers would love to accuse him. But our God will not be accused. Instead, he will be glorified. For his wrath and for his mercy, for concerning the glory of God in salvation, the apostle's heart breaks for the lost. Not because they didn't check the right box, not because they didn't keep the right rules, but because they lack the intimacy with God that concerns salvation. And instead have, have, have formed a system that they have used to replace it. A system that they call the law and yet God's glory is not in man's law. God's glory is in the word of faith. A word that is near you. That is in your heart and in your mouth. For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that being a fact, we are therefore bold In the personhood that God has given us, we are bold in evangelism. We understand the difference between means and cause. We understand that while we are the means that God has ordained to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world, it is Christ and Christ alone that is the cause of new life in men. Indeed, how beautiful are the feet 
of those that preach good news, not because they have the ability to bring forth life, but because God in his mercy has seen fit to use them to proclaim that he brings forth life. Will all believe? No. Unfortunately, they will not. But for the Christian who understands the sovereignty and the providence of God, success is not simply people accepting the good news of the cross, but instead success is the faithful proclamation of the good news of the cross. And we trust, and guys, and this is what it boils down to, we trust God to be good. Man, we put it out there. And then we trust him to know what he's doing. We trust him to produce the effect and to bring his people to himself. For faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And if, may, and if I may ad lib, hearing through the word of Christ and Christ alone. Now what about Israel? Say, well, why don't you bring up Israel? Well, because the apostle does. <laughs> and it is paramount to the salvation that we have been grafted into. What about Israel? Let me tell you something about Israel. Christ is faithful. He has not abandoned his people Israel. Instead, Paul says that a partial hardening has come upon Israel specifically so that the fullness of the Gentiles, that being me and you, might be grafted in. And the result that we see is that the Gentile church and their suffering, their very enduring to the end, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, is the very thing that leads the Jews to jealousy on that day when our Lord splits the eastern sky and they look on him whom they have pierced so that Jew and Gentile together may be saved. Church, you need to understand... You've been grafted into something that originally was not your own. Man, you want to talk about grace upon grace. <laughs> Here is the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that provides for your propitiation, and there's grace on top of that, and that you were grafted into a promise that did not first come to Gentiles like you and me. We've been called according to a purpose. We are those that provoke to jealousy a living sacrifice. Friends, you are the miracle that God is doing. You are the miracle that God is doing. You're sentient beings. And we look through the Old Testament and we see the things that always rank high on the miracle list. We see the splitting of the sea and manna from heaven and quail and, and, and water from the rock and, and water to blood and, and, and staffs to snakes and all of those sorts of things. But the reality is, is when God really gets down to business and he really starts speaking ex nihilo, something out of nothing, He speaks people. He speaks 
angels. He speaks the kind of beings that think and feel, are motivated either in defiance of their creator or by the grace of God in subjection to him. We are the living sacrifice. Aware, living, feeling, desiring the things of the kingdom so that in God's perfect design we may fulfill that for which he has purposed us for. And friends, it is not all the same. Instead, we are perfectly equipped for the role that God called you and designed you to fulfill. So let us fulfill our roles. Be the thing that you were called to be. Let your love be genuine. Don't make it fake. Paul says don't pretend. Let it be real. And this has very particular application when we're talking about agape love that is love that comes with intention. Man, if it's going to be intentional love, it's got to be the thing that he designed it to be. You've got to be the thing that he called you to be. To your God, to your brother, to your sister, even to your enemy. For Paul says in chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Even to be subject to the governing authorities that God ordains. Owe nothing except to love. Awake from sleep, for salvation is nearer now than we, when we first believed. You talk about a mouthful. Guys, I got to tell you, you nodding your head at me ain't helping. It's hard for me to leave stuff on the page, but we've already been over this once. But man, you talk about an incredible statement. Man, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That's crazy. And it comes an unstoppable juggernaut. The proverbial freight train speaking things into existence that previously did not exist. Time to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So, considering that we are called into a purpose, and this purpose is specific, that in God's providence he has called us to a very particular thing, a very particular role within the body that is the church, what does that look like as we've got a full spectrum of young to old Immature to mature, infants to well-seasoned, weak to strong. In Romans chapter 14 and verses 1 through 6, Paul says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Well, Paul says, let your love be genuine. Literally in the Greek, without pretending. We could church it up and say without pretense, but literally in the Greek it means don't pretend. Be real. Man, when it comes to letting your love be genuine, God has some very specific expectations of his people. He says, for those of you that are strong in the faith, don't despise the weak. Man, in the flesh, it's easy to do. Because it seems like the weak are always slowing you down. Always kneecapping you. But don't despise the weak. Remember that you once were. And that you probably still are more than any of us would like to think we are. Instead... The concept in the original language here is to bring them along, to to pull them along beside you. Not by force, not against their will, but instead speaking and loving them in such a way that the heart of the new creation desires to come along. Desires to become strong. For the weak, you would think that Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit to his people, would say, hey, listen, guys, you that are strong, I've got some stuff for you, and you're going to have to do that because these guys are weak. So let them do what they're going to do because they're weak. And you guys that are strong, I need you to do A, B, C, and D, X, Y, and Z. But that's not how he works. It's amazing. Quite frankly, the the weak in Christ are a lot stronger, at least from the position of Scripture, than we typically give them credit for. He has expectations for them as well. He says, to the weak, do not pass judgment on the strong. In other words, just because you can't hack it doesn't mean others can't. Don't pass judgment on the strong, but instead uphold God's judgment and do so without usurping the authority of God as judge. Don't place yourself in the judge's seat. Let God's judgment stand. Therefore, whether weak or strong, We must not go beyond what is written. And honestly, guys, herein lies the difficulty, for there is much that is unrevealed, both in the hearts of men and the judgment of God. For Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 4, verse 5 of his first letter to them and says, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. And yet, Scripture makes it very clear that we will most certainly be judged. 
Now, isn't that a deal? Typically, men want to dumb this down in one of two directions. And they either want to say, judge not lest you be judged, and ignore everything else that Scripture says about judging with right judgment. Or they want to have a very finite list of judgment that they can uphold against their brother when the reality is this, it is God's to judge. And here's the deal, friends, he does. <laughs> he does. And we've got a book full of his judgment where he says, here it is, this, not this, that, not the other. Here's my character. Here's what it looks like displayed in you. We have to be the kind of people that read a book that was written for adults like adults. And realize that God says you're not the judge. That doesn't mean that there is not judgment. There is. He gives it. We are required to uphold it. And in doing so, because our character is not what his is, we do not go beyond what is written. He will hold us in his judgment. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Man, I gotta tell you, when you really consider that, I don't want to have to give an account for you. I'm going to have my plate full giving an account for me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, for each will have to bear his own load. I couldn't bear yours even if I wanted to, and I don't. And I'm fairly certain when I look at myself in the mirror that you would not want to bear mine. God has high expectations of his people. This is not legalism. This is not righteousness by works. This all falls under the blood of the cross. But the reality is the blood of the cross is effectual to produce something that previously did not exist. It is. And when God sacrifices the life of his son to create something out of nothing, he legitimately has high expectations for that creation. And so here it is, weak or strong, Got expectations for all of us. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. (coughs) 
Which should you be? Should you be the one that observes or the one who doesn't observe? Should you be the one that partakes or the one that abstains? Now, when I said earlier, these kind of sermons are difficult for me because there is a ton of stuff on the page that we're not talking about. This is part of what I was speaking of. But if you really want to boil it down, which one should you be? Should you be the one that abstains or should you be the one that protects? Should you be the one that observes or should you be the one that does not observe? got to listen to me. Don't put words in my mouth. While those decisions may be very important for you individually, while they may be very important for the way that you lead your family individually, in the grand scheme of things, What Paul is concerned with is neither whether you partake or abstain. It is not whether you observe or you do not observe. He's digging after something much more profound than that. In Romans chapter 12, and listen guys, Paul's a big thinker. You you have to go all the way back there to grab the thought. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned The first time we looked at this, we labeled it as the trifecta of thought. So there's three things that Paul says here. The very first thing is a warning. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It literally means don't outthink yourself. (laughs) Don't outthink yourself. It's a profound thing, I think, to say to the church today. Because if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I think that the church lacks in deep thinking to some extent today. I think that we would do well to think more. But Paul's writing to these people in a language that was basically designed for deep thinkers. And said, don't outthink yourself. Don't think beyond your station. In other words, understand that you are the creature and he is the creator. By the grace given to me. And I I love the way that Paul couches this statement because he is displaying the very thing that he is pointing out. So he's going to make a profound statement about the way that Christians ought to maintain themselves. And 
in doing so, he is displaying the way they ought to maintain themselves. Not by his own wisdom, not by his own genius, but instead by the grace given to him. He's not out thinking himself. He is thinking with sober judgment, and he is thinking specifically according to the mind of Christ. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to what? The measure of faith, the very gift of God that he has assigned to us. Sober judgment literally means to think sanely. When we read Romans chapter 14, it almost always is presented as a sermon condemning the judgment of men. And I don't disagree with that. It's there. Man, let love be genuine. Don't pretend. I mean, this is the background for what he says in 14. You don't get to 14 without chapter 12 and 13. Let love be genuine. Don't pretend. By the grace given to you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't think beyond your station. Instead, think sanely. And how does the creature think sanely? The creature thinks sanely when it looks at the Creator and says, tell me how to think. And we get to chapter 14. The strong and the weak. Hey, if you're strong, don't despise the weak. Because we know that you're not as strong as you think and you have a tendency to want to despise the weak. (laughs) On the other hand, if you're weak, don't pass judgment. Man, I mean, hey, look, uphold the judgment of God. If it lies between the covers, then by golly, uphold it. But don't pass judgment on your own accord. Who are you to to judge? It's fascinating to me. I mean, you, you, you want to see the weakness of the strong on display. The weakness of the strong is on display when they despise the weak. The weakness of the weak is on incredible display when in their weakness they want to pass judgment on the strong. That's all there. But man, if we think that's what Paul's talking about, we missed it. Because that is not the point that he's driving at. That's just the application. He's talking about something much bigger. He's talking about living and dying. And so in chapter 12, or in chapter 14, I'm sorry, he continues in verse 7, 4, and the, the Greek is gar. It is the it, it, it is the epitome of causality. <laughs> like like this word is like bold letters, you know, two font sizes bigger because man, the strong act this way, the weak act this way, because. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. 
For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Man, what we're talking about here is not eating or abstaining, celebrating or not celebrating. It's not even speaking about being weak or strong, though the application extends to all of those things directly according to the apostle. What we're talking about is living and dying. God calling into existence that which did not exist. And man, it's different from the stuff that existed before. Now, some of us, some of us have been saved for a long time. I only lived seven years of my life apart from Christ. There's some real advantages to that. There's also some real advantages to having a little bit more experience before you came to Christ. It goes, I mean, look, all things work for good. That's that's how it goes. I mean, I tell people all the time, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life was that I didn't get married until I was 42. That was awesome for me. Wouldn't have been so good for Freeman. Right? Best thing that ever happened to him, what were you? I was going for 19. There you go. You look like you were 14. (laughs) We're not talking. Man, is there do this, don't do that? Absolutely. We're talking about living and dying. And who we live and die to. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, guys, that statement right there, let me tell you, if if. If you've got the Holy Spirit saying, listen, here is the end to which God acted, that's where you're going to arrive. For to this end, Christ died. This is why. This is where it was going. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, literally, that he might be master of the dead and of the living. What we're talking about here is not quarreling over opinions. It's bigger than eating or abstaining. It's bigger than celebrating or not. It's about to whom we belong, to whom we live, and to whom we die. 
talking more about here than physical existence. Instead, we're talking about the MA. If you remember, as we've moved through Romans, over and over, Paul has a habit of saying the same phrase as a rebuke. He'll bring up something that is the nature of the flesh and say, the flesh would say this. The flesh would say, if God gets glory from forgiving sin, then shouldn't we go sin so that God may get glory in forgiving us? And then he would say, not being. Now I know it gets translated as, as, as not doing, but that's not what it means in the Greek. It doesn't mean by no means. It means not being, not M.A. Here he says the opposite. For to this end Christ died and lived again that we might that he might be both the Lord of the dead and the living. This is what he preached to those in Athens when in Acts chapter 14 he said in him we live and move and have our being. He's not talking about doing and not doing. He's talking about living and dying. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. You know... It comes across in chapter 14, verse 8. If you isolate that verse and say, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. And it comes across as simply being as stated as a possibility. If, if we live. It's not just in the English, it's subjunctive in the Greek. If we live, if we die. But the fact of the matter is, is Paul doesn't end there. He continues into verse 9 and says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And here Paul switches it up and it becomes indicative. The only reason he says is, if we live or if we die, is because at any moment it could be one or the other but eventually it's going to be both. We will live to the Lord if we're His, and we will die to the Lord if we're His. Man, what Paul is talking about in chapter 14, while speaking to the judgment of men, isn't about men passing judgment. It's about who we are in Christ, who we live to and who we die to. You know, I said last week in the State of the Covenant, and man, this is covenant. This is covenant fellowship. I said last week in the State of the Covenant that when preaching the State of Covenant in 2021, reflecting back on 2020, 
I was able to say that in the midst of all of this chaos, we lost no one. Unfortunately, I was not able to say that preaching in 2022, reflecting on 2021. In 2021, there were those of us that lived to the Lord and there were those of us that died to the Lord. And you know the thing that was incredible about that to me? Because I've spent a lot of time this year. I don't know. It's been a unique year. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. What was incredible about that to me? Whether we consider Butch, Sandra, Lucille, As their pastor, I had the pleasure of not having to softball anything at their funerals. Man, you got to pitch. It was fastball low and outside for every one of them. I think Butch used to revel in the idea that I would preach his funeral. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I already know what the opening line is. And he said, what is it? And I said, I ain't going to tell you. <laughs> I said, you just make your head swell up bigger than it already is. You know, here lies one of the craziest and most God-fearing men I've ever known. I had the privilege of preaching every one of those funerals, and in every one of them, I was able to say the things that you, if you speak in truth and don't candy coat it, that you say about every saint that passes. Well, there was some fleshly stuff in them. But man, whether they lived or they died. They lived to the Lord, they died to the Lord. That's as good as you can say about the sons and daughter of Adam. And it is all, as he said back in chapter 12, because of the grace of God given to us that we can say that. Man, Romans chapter 14, when you land in chapter 13 and 14, everybody wants to pull the gear and say, okay, now we're shifting gears and now we're not talking about the high theology anymore. We're talking about practical application, what it means to me. No. No, what we're talking about is the high theology on display. Here's what it looks like. The focus is not the weak and the strong. The focus is the living and the dying. We live to the Lord. We die to the Lord. Whether it be living today and dying tomorrow, whatever the case may be, we have been set apart 
as the living sacrifice unto his service. And so here's the deal. And this is, you know, this is covenant of Jesus Christ. And here it is displayed in the local body. Friends, look. One way or the other, I'll either bury you or you'll bury me. Living and dying unto the Lord. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Why? Because that was his purpose. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. I don't know how you shut that off. So that's it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we praise you for the fact that this was your end, that it was your purpose. Lord, that that men might legitimately live to you. And so, Lord, that's what we pray for, that men would live to you. Lord, we know it requires death to self. Lord, we know, therefore, that it requires miracle from you. And so, Father, we pray that you would. We pray that you would, that you would glorify yourself. Lord, that you would glorify yourself in the salvation of the lost, that, that men and women and, and boys and girls would, would believe and confess. Lord, that the word of faith would be in their heart and in their mouth. Lord, and that we would see faith credited to them as righteousness. Lord, we pray for the, the sanctification of your people. That every day as we're living, Lord, that we would live to you. Lord, we pray this, that you might be glorified. And that your people might have joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.